Welcome back to Teacher's Lounge. I'm Peter Medlin, and this is the show where we tell the stories of education, and we get to know the people in education through in-depth interviews with local educators who are chosen by you, our beautiful listeners. So please do me a favor and nominate educators that you know who you think deserve to be featured and make suggestions for topics that we should talk about on the podcast by emailing the show at teacherslounge at niu.edu. This week, I went to Rockford to talk to West Middle School principal Maurice Davis. Now, Maurice is from Rockford. His parents still live literally a few blocks from his school, and he's taught at pretty much every level of education except for preschool, which, you know, he says might not be his bag anyway. But uh, we had a great conversation about coming back to his hometown to teach, making history class relevant, and how to improve teaching in 2020 and beyond. I think that sometimes... We don't take the time because we're so focused on giving them stuff. We don't take the time to listen to them to see what they already know. Some of the stuff that we think we need to teach, they can Google it now. They don't need me to stand up and give them dates and facts and figures. So my job has to be more than that. All of that and so much more in my conversation with Maurice Davis. You're not going to want to miss that. I mean, you already download the show. You're already here, so you might as well stay tuned for it. But anyway, all of that's coming up later on. So now let's get into the rest of Teacher's Lounge. Did I say Happy New Year yet? Happy New Year. It's 2020. We're more than a week in. I think I'm kind of sort of getting used to saying that. But we just got back from our holiday break. So I hope whatever it is that you celebrate, that you celebrated, you did it right, you had fun, ate a bunch of chocolate. Uh, Lord knows I did. But in the spirit of the holidays, I thought I'd give you one last gift before we let go of the holiday season entirely and start our slow march towards spring. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Okay, so the story is about a Loves Park Middle School art class who was chosen to design and hand-make Illinois' ornament for the National Christmas Tree Celebration in Washington, D.C. I talked to them about why they chose the design they did, the pressure of representing the entire state, keeping their project a secret from their friends in school, and how they raised enough money to go to the ceremony and see their ornaments displayed in all their glory in the nation's capital, maybe even in the White House. Let's get to it. The two dozen Harlem Middle School art students worked on the 24 ornaments for over a month in secret. The National Park Service didn't let the kids say anything about their project until the official announcement. So while the 7th graders spent afternoons crafting the state ornament, they spent their days dodging questions from friends. I would have to make up a different reason every time. That's Peyton. I would just say art stuff and then kind of walk away. And instead of having each student make an ornament, their exploratory art teacher Ruth Meisen says they decided everyone should work on every ornament. And Meisen said they decided on only using one design for all of them. It's not just representing our school. How do we represent our state? So we agreed on going with the white oak tree as one of the symbols of strength. The white oak leaves circle the green ornaments, and they have an outline of the state with the slogan, Peace and Joy from Illinois, and a heart dangles from the bottom of the ornament as an homage to their hometown. The student's handiwork now hangs on a tree on the famous ellipse of President's Park in Washington, D.C., just outside of the White House, along with 55 other trees representing every state, territory, and the District of Columbia. It's expected that more than 200,000 tourists could see their tree this year. And it was hard to imagine all of those eyes on their ornaments while the 7th graders were secretly decorating them months ago. Gabrielle says that part didn't bother them, though. It's a 
more pressure was going into how many people we were representing. Their teacher Ruth Meisen says only finishing touches remained for the ornaments by the time everyone else even found out about it. It's just kind of like cooking a big meal. You're, you, you've been working with all the ingredients for so long and you get near the end, you're like, like with a meal, you're like, does this even taste good anymore? I'm not even sure. After the many hours putting the ornaments together, Meisen said she wanted to make sure the students had a chance to go to Washington, D.C. and see the tree lighting ceremony in person. So they created a GoFundMe and started fundraising to cut costs for the families. Meisen said donations made a difference and most students made the trip. Before the tree lighting ceremony began, they were whisked behind the ropes to see their tree first. Of course, they also moved some ornaments around and fixed a few branches. We're art people, so we, we, we judged it. And Meisen said she lit up when someone from the education department told her Illinois was their favorite. It was a real proud moment because these are seventh graders who did those ornaments and, and many of the ornaments were made by high school students. And when the students saw their tree for the first time, well, Adriana said... It didn't seem real. Like, I thought it was a dream, but it was actually really amazing to see them from us just working on them in here to going to see them in front of many people. Gabrielle said they even felt a little like proud parents to their five-inch ornaments. If you could imagine your kid graduating from college. Then came the tree lighting ceremony. And just after that, Meisen said they ran over to the White House Visitor Center, where their ornament was also featured front and center on a tree. That actually got me emotional <laughs> seeing that. Maritza says her class understands the significance of this opportunity. When's another time that you're going to be able to be chosen to do this? So you just got to like take it and just be happy with it. Now that the art students are back in Love's Park, they're finishing up a few leftover ornaments that they're planning to give to some of the people who helped support their trip. Whenever you get the chance, I want to encourage you to go over to our website, WNIJ.org, go to the show notes for this episode, and we'll link over to that story about the ornaments so you can actually see what the ornaments look like and you can actually see the students in Washington, D.C. and all of that good stuff. All right, now it's time for the news roundup, which is just going to catch you up on some things that you might have missed, some news items that might have slipped by you during the holiday season when we were all so busy. So today's roundup, we're going to focus on new laws because the beginning of every year, January 1st, also marks when a bunch of new laws go into effect, including many that are related to education. And there were two of those new laws that intended to address sensitive topics with students. Discrimination and sexual harassment in the workplace and consent are among the issues these plans want teachers to discuss. The laws are sponsored by Representative Chris Welch. I found them very similar, uh, trying to reach the same goal, uh, teach kids at an early age uh, what's proper, what's not proper. Welch is a Cook County Democrat. I think we have to just be conscious of the fact that things are happening in the real world. And if you're going to change behavior, it starts early. It, it, it's hard to change adults. Welch says many schools have already built these topics into their curriculum. The Workplace Preparation Bill encourages school districts to include a unit on workplace protections, but doesn't mandate it. However, age-appropriate conversations about consent will be mandatory for 6th through 12th grade sex education courses. Classes will cover ideas like the ability to withdraw consent at any time and that past consent doesn't equal consent now. And also, starting in the 2020-21 school year, Illinois high school students will be automatically admitted to some public universities if they meet certain criteria. So their GPA would have to fall in the top 10% of their class or have a 3.5 or higher GPA if their school is too small for rankings. 
But not all public universities are included on this plan. The University of Illinois and Illinois State are not part of the university admission pilot program. U of I officials pushed back on the plan this spring, saying it could lead to admission of unprepared students. Republican State Representative Mark Batnick was a co-sponsor of the plan, and he hopes it can help stem the enrollment exodus of students leaving the state. It's a really bad idea to have a system set up that encourages your highly educated, intelligent youth to leave the state. That's a bad system. Education advocates also point to direct admission programs as an equity solution. Idaho recently implemented a similar system where education officials there say it makes it easier for minority and first-generation students to traverse the admission process. There's a bunch of other laws, and you can actually just go and Google New Illinois Laws 2020 and find a ton of other ones that are going to affect you in the new year and beyond. All right, now it's time for my conversation with Rockford's own Maurice Davis. You know what I was just thinking about on the way here? This is just like, it was just a random thing that I thought of on the way here. We've done maybe like a dozen or so episodes of this show. Uh-huh. You are the third Maurice. Really? The third Maurice. Get out of here. Isn't that strange? That is crazy. We no, had... seriously, that's really crazy. Mm-hmm. We had um, Maurice McDavid, who is a um, teacher and principal around DeKalb. Huh. And um, we had uh, Maurice West I talked to, the yeah. representative from, yeah. from Rockford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was driving here, and I was like, huh, it's like 12 episodes. We've had this, the third Maurice. Yeah. So you shout know, out to the shout out to Maurice, crazy. I guess. That's crazy, because growing up, I, I was the only one. And really? I always wanted to be like the kid that had the same, like I wanted to just be John or like, you know, just something simple. But I was Maurice and I, I have always been the only Maurice. See, you know what's weird is I was the only, uh, my name is Peter. I was always the only Peter. I never, I didn't go to school with another Peter until I was in college. Really? Isn't that, but I feel like that people think of that as a common name. But Yeah, it, yeah, I, yeah. I, I would think of it as a common name. Yeah, it's one of those biblical ones. But yeah. Be, <laughs> apparently, yep. apparently after that, <laughs> they were kind of done with it. Right? <laughs> that was like the one Peter and that was it. Yeah, and they're like, we can't top that. Maybe we just shouldn't name it. But no, I was, and I, I think the part of the reason that I was okay with it is because I have, I also have a very specific last name. Like Davis, that's a pretty mm-hmm. common last name. Yeah, it is. But my last name is Medlin, which that's is like, is, I I don't think it's very common it's not at all. Common. So at no. least I had like a balance where I had like one common name and then an uncommon name. So you got the whole thing like Maurice, I do. uncommon, I do. Davis. Until now, apparently. Apparently three now. I mean, who's to say? Jeez. At the end of this podcast, it could just be me interviewing <laughs> Maurice's. That could just be the show. It very well could be. Oh, that would be interesting. I bet that show doesn't exist. You know, no, maybe not we, yet. Maybe not we yet. need to fill that Someone gap. Someone has to start that, right? <laughs> and, okay, so Maurice from West. You've been mm-hmm. at West for how long now? So this is, uh, this is five years at this school. And uh, when I took this job on, I was not thinking that five years was going to happen as, as quickly as it did. When I started, um, West, uh, you know, if you, if you look up our school right now, you'll see a lot of um, past articles on past years of what right. West used to be. And so that was the West that I knew I was walking into. And I'm thinking, man, like. Well, what was the stereotype? Like, what was the, the past thing that everyone so thought if about? So like, if, if you, you Google it up, like, West, 
middle school, yeah. uh, what would come up was stories of, uh, you know, students not being in class and fires being set in the bathrooms and uh, the police having to be at the building and, right, yeah. and all these types of terrible connotations were, you know, established with our building, right? And so what that caused, I think, in our city was a perception, Right. And, and and we all know that perception is reality for people. It is. So it turned into like that's what it is, you know. And even for myself, when I was approached about like taking this school and becoming the principal at this school, I, I'm going to be honest, that was kind of resonating in my head. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, I mean, if I mean, the only information we have is the information that's presented to us. Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so. You know, I, I, I kind of had to ask myself a couple of times, like, me? Like, you, you think I should go in there and, and, and be principal? And So what um, made you be like, yes, I should go in there? So like, well, what's wrong you? So here's the deal. I was the principal at Welsh Elementary School. And so I was sending kids to this school. And I care about my kids. I just do, right? And so the fact that I was sending fifth graders here on a regular basis because I was the principal there for four years. So four groups of my students came here while that perception was here in this building. And I'm right. thinking to myself, man, like those are, those are my kids. So, so if things really are, you know, if that perception is really reality, then I'm sending my kids into the lion's den. Right. Right. And, and so I wanted to, I felt like Welsh was in a place where they didn't need me anymore. Right. And I, and I thought to myself, man, like, I, I, maybe this is the next step. Maybe I need to like, go with my kids to this school and, and try to help, right? Interestingly enough, when I got here, it was nothing close to, you know, what that perception was, right? Um, you know, sometimes the media has a way of, like, picking up on the problems but not the great things that are going on. Right. It's one of those just classic newsworthy, like, if it bleeds, it leads yep. type of situations where the only stories that you pick up on are the ones where the police are coming or there's fires. You got right? it. You got it. Yeah. And so uh, I accepted and I got here. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that I told the staff when I got here is I want to make sure that we are doing our part to be an actual school. Like, let's be a school. And uh, meaning, let's make sure. Meaning what? Like well, as opposed to what? Yeah. Well, yeah. as as opposed to a place that people think that kids just come to just be here during the day. Right. Right. I think that, again, when we talk about perception yeah. of a school, I think people thought, well, you know, kids have to go to that building. So, like, they're just going in there and Doing teachers time. are, right. like, babysitting them. And, and, I, and I wanted I wanted to make sure that people knew that there was more happening at this school than just babysitting. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're educators, and we're working really hard with our student body to make them as great as they can be. I believe in our students here, like with my whole heart. I believe in them. I think part of the reason why I got into to teaching it really dealt with uh, a situation that happened. It was a, At the time, it was a, 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 a minor little small thing. I was asked by the pastor of my church um, to help to organize a, a youth program. And the only limit that he gave me was it needs to be 60 minutes. Like, it needs to be an hour. That was the only, like, requirement for That was it. the only requirement is that it needed to be an hour long. And how old were you? I was 16 at the time. I was 16. So I'm, I'm a junior in, in high school, or I'm about to be a junior, maybe a sophomore. Junior. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so I, I do this thing, right? And uh, it was amazing. Uh, and, and I think that the, the takeaway for me at that age, because I, you know, I, as a kid, I, I thought about what did I, what did I want to do? And uh, at one time I thought I wanted to be a chemist. Yeah, and so, physical therapist. That was yeah. the one for me when I was a kid. My mom bought me a chemistry set, and I was scared to use it. I'm like, I'm going to blow something up. So I, I knew right then I'm not supposed to be a chemist. Like, she bought this huge kit, and Beakers. I actually opened it up, and I actually saw the chemicals, and I'm like, nah, nah, <laughs> man. Like, something bad's going to happen if I do this. So yeah. So I ended up uh, running this this program, and, and what was really cool is it it came together so amazing in the back of my mind, I thought to myself, man, like, there were no limits put on us. And look at what we were able to do. Like, the only thing that we were told is that it was gonna, it was supposed to be an hour. And that was when I fell in love with, like, working with kids, because kids don't have this idea of limits. Like, we put the limits on them, right? Right. our, Our kids are dreaming about doing amazing things. They're dreaming about becoming basketball players right. and baseball players, right? Astronauts. And, and we're the ones that tell them, well, like, it's a 1% chance, right? right? You've right. got to be – it's really weird to, like, talk to a 9-year-old and be like, listen, you've got to be feasible. We need right. to have a backup right. plan. That's right. just right. a strange that, – that concept doesn't even make sense to a 9-year-old. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so working with kids for me is energizing because if you, if you get them at the right time, the, these are young people – who have, like, the sky's the limit for them, right? And so it was great to have that experience, and I knew at that point I want to be a teacher. Like, this is what I want to do with my life because um, I like the feeling of coming to a place where there's no limit. Like, there's yeah. everything's possible. Anything's possible. As much as we hear it or we can say it to ourselves or hear it from our parents, like, you can do whatever you want when you grow up, you can do all mm-hmm. this – there's something about just the way that people are where they're like, well, yeah, but that's my mom saying that. Right. Or like, yeah, right. I mean, like, or that's, you know, right. I could say that, but what does that really mean? I'm just some kid. But like actually having someone outside of your main family yeah. sphere. And a lot of times like the people that have the opportunity to do that are teachers because those are the ones that are in that situation. They're yeah. around us the most. And it really, for a lot of people, takes someone like that outside of your main sphere to be like, oh, no, you can do that. And that's really what gets a lot of people to be like, oh, well, maybe if they actually believe that, then maybe I can actually believe yep, that. Right? Absolutely. And I think uh, when you look at environments that our kids grow up in, um, I think there are some places that need educators that are willing to allow kids to push boundaries a little more in some places than in others, right? Right. Just because of opportunity, right? And so um, I think that working in this neighborhood, and I grew up in this neighborhood, amazingly enough, um, just a couple blocks away. So to be able to come back um, to my neighborhood um, exclusively, my parents still live around the corner from this school, um, to be able to come back here and to be the guy, hopefully, pushing limits for kids and helping them to understand that like the only thing that's not possible is the thing that you decide is not possible is great for me. So it's been, it's been an amazing experience to come back here and to be so connected to the neighborhood that you do see the kids and the parents outside of school. Uh, I think it helps uh, in relationship building uh, in the building, right? Uh, because you you almost become just a part of their everyday life, right? right? And and not just in the school, 
but in the neighborhood as well. And that helps. I probably helps them see you as just like a three-dimensional person also too, yeah, right? Absolutely. As opposed to like right? the... I'm a human. He's someone right? that <laughs> sleeps under his desk yes, and right, just right, emerges right, right, when right. the kids get here. But like, yeah. oh no, he actually goes places and has yes. a, a life outside of that. Yep. I, I was nervous uh, early on about working as a teacher in the city that I lived in. That was something that I, I thought I did not want to do, uh, but as, as time has gone on, I found that it was the best thing for me. Being able to run into my kids like later on yeah. or to have former students of mine that I had as a teacher come into this building and have students of their own now. And so I, I was your principal or I was your teacher right. and now I'm your kid's principal. I mean, it, it's just uh, it's pretty amazing to to be able to um, have those generational connections that are a little more than. Just a, you know, wham, bam, I'm going to see you for a year. I'm never going to see you again. Right. You know? yeah. Was it something that, you know, when you were going to school, when you knew that you wanted to be a teacher, was the plan, was it ever part of your plan to come back to Rockford? Was that ever something that you just, you know, had in the back of your mind that you wanted to do? Or is that just kind of the way that it turned out? So, because um, people, you know, it's it's interesting. People always have very uh, unique relationships with their hometowns, right? Mm-hmm. And people see it in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what it was for you, if that was something that you always wanted to. I loved to Rockford. Do back, I, yeah. I I loved my city growing up. Yeah. Um, I was so happy here as a kid. I thought I'd lived in the greatest city in the world. You know, I th- I think that I wanted to work in a place like Rockford. And so my first job was actually in Chicago. Yeah. So I was in Chicago public schools for my first job. And the city was just way too big for me. Like I just did I, – I did not feel like I fit in. And yeah. so my initial response is I got to go to Rockford. Like that was my response to working in a big city with all of this, you know, uh, pomp and circumstance of – you know, the city. Right. Uh, it was like, I, I got I got to get back home. And so I worked really hard, really, really hard to get a teaching job here. And uh, it was it was amazing. When I when I first got back, it was like the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, I loved um, coming back home and working. But in that year, I saw it all. I dealt with it all. I handled it all. And so I, I went from teaching middle school there to coming here and teaching high school. Uh, I, I spent uh, the bulk of my my teaching time actually was spent at at Jefferson High School. Yeah. Uh, so I worked uh, worked for two principals while I was there. Um, one of which is is still the principal Don Rundle. He's still principal at Jefferson. Um, but I worked for him, uh, and then from there, funny the 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 teachers at the time at the school were very adamant. I, I was the guy that was going to be the teacher forever. I I did not have aspirations to be a principal. I was just, I was very content. I was very happy in the classroom. And right. so I was doing my thing. Um, I did not have a master's degree. And so I was getting harped on by the other teachers that, like, you're missing out on money. You're missing out on this. Get your master's mm-hmm, degree. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, I don't have time for that. They pushed me for, like, two good years. And uh, I went ahead and went back and got my master's degree. Finished. I, I went ahead and I got educational administration and, and leadership as my as my degree. And But I'm still good. Like, I don't want to do anything but be a teacher. And uh, Mr. Rundle, at the time, I interned for him as my, as in, under uh, my principalship uh, requirements. Right, for your master's. Yeah, for yeah. my master's. And uh, so I get done, and he's like, yeah, I, I just need to let you know. Like, you, it's time for you to not be a teacher anymore. You need to be a principal. 
And I was like, nope, um, I'm good. I, I don't want any parts of that. That's not what I want to do. I, I just really want to teach. And at that point, how long had you been teaching then? Six years. Really? So not a terribly long time then? Nope. No. Nope. Six years. And so he pushed and I pushed. Like, I'm pushing back now. And so uh, he ended up, uh, actually, he's responsible for getting me my first interview uh, as, a, as a principal. Uh, he called me to his office and said, I got you an interview uh, downtown on this day, and I want you to go. And uh, I'm like, Don, I, I don't want to do this. This isn't something that I want to do. Nah, I, I just got you the interview. I want you to go, and I want you to talk to him. So day comes. I go in. I interview. I'm probably the only guy in history that has ever done this. But once the interview was done, I actually gave a narrative and I said, I appreciate you like taking the time to interview me, but I am not interested in being a principal right now. This sounds like it's the premise of a movie right now where you're like, you know, it's like all of a sudden I can be so much more loose and honest because it's actually not a job that I really want, you know? Yeah. And uh, I get up and I walk out. I got to the elevator, and there two principals that were interviewing or on the team uh, followed me to the, the elevator. And uh, we're going down, and one of them looked at me and said, you did a great job. I'd like to offer you a job with us. And I said, thanks, but no thanks. Um, I really, I, I really appreciate it, but I'm not interested. And then uh, the other principal said, he introduced himself, and you did a great job. I'd like to offer you a position as well. Like, they're, they're both on the, uh, on the elevator with me, and I – Nope, I, thank you, but I'm, I'm just happy right now, right? I get in my car, drive back to work. I walk in, and uh, Mr. Rundle calls me into his office, and he sits me down. He's like, hey, I got a phone call. I said, oh, yeah? And he goes, yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like you did a good job, and uh, principal at Lincoln uh, wants, to, wants to have you on board. And I said, great, but I told him that I'm not interested. And he said, yeah, but I told him that you are. And he, he basically said, it's time for it, you have to leave. You have to leave here. There's, there's something else you can do. And I don't know what that is. And you don't even know what that is right now. But there's something more that you have that you can probably offer, right? And, and so I really had a serious heart-to-heart. I went home and talked to my wife. And I really started to think, you know, I, I, I love what I do. And I'm so passionate when it comes to kids. Like, maybe I can affect more than just the 150 that I have, right? I've got 150 kids. What if I'm able to affect 300 kids or 500 kids or whatever as an assistant principal, right, Um, helping a school? In that interview, too, I mean, you did the not only the cool confidence of I don't even need this, but also (laughs) the hard to get, like, no, 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 it works every time. Uh, maybe that's what got it. I don't know. Maybe that's what did it, you know. Um, I, I, I spent some time as an assistant principal, and then from there, um, I actually worked at the district level. So I moved to become a district administrator after becoming an assistant principal. So I didn't necessarily follow the trajectory of going from assistant to, like, leading a building. I actually kind of skipped that part yeah. and went to the district level, and I oversaw um, social studies curriculum for a year which was a really unique opportunity. Yeah, because you were a history teacher as well, right? I was, yep. I was a history teacher. That's it. See, that history was always my thing when I was in school and everything. That was, that was, that was always my favorite subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Was that the same for you, I imagine? Uh, no. No? 
It wasn't. Uh, I actually, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually, truth be told, I wanted to be uh, a band director. Um, My my family has a strong background in music, and so um, like I really got into music at the high school level. Um, What instruments did you play? I played uh, alto sax, and then I played tenor sax. Um, I play a little bit of piano. I try to sing. I try. Uh, and so uh, my, my, my mom is a piano player. She's a singer. My dad plays the organ. He's a piano player. Um, Church organ? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there you go. My, uh, my uncle actually played bass for Natalie Cole. Really? Uh, yeah. Yep. And so music uh, has always been something that has been pretty um, heavy uh, in, my, in my life. And so uh, I thought I was going to be a band director. And so I, I got to Northern Illinois University and uh, was still having that in mind. And then um, kind of reality set in because I was talking to the department and they were like, well, there's a lot of saxophone players in our department and you're going to end up getting your 40 year degree in like six years. And Oof. I was like, nope. Yeah, that sounds So awful. I had always been good at history. Like, I don't know if I really was passionate about it. It was just something that I was good at. Yeah. And so uh, I ended up kind of making that leap. And I, I ended up over time becoming like passionate about it and caring about it um, to where I could you know, be an effective teacher um, with it. But I think I wanted to be a teacher. I, I guess More at the end of the day, it what... really didn't matter what I was teaching. I just wanted to be an educator. And I wanted right. to be working with kids on a regular basis. That, that's what was important to me. I guess I could have been teaching Spanish at the end right. of the day. As, as long, long as you had as that 60 I minutes was, to fill, right? Yep. Yeah. As long as I was with kids, I think that's what really mattered to me, um, which is why when the when the music thing didn't work out, I, I guess I was okay with it, right? You're I was okay just able to make the pivot and, and, and keep keep moving. Now, now that you've been a principal for how many years now? Nine. For nine mm-hmm. years. Could you ever see yourself going back into the classroom in a capacity like that? Yes. Yes? I could. And I think that's – I like to think – It's also interesting for you too because you've – I feel like you've seen so many different levels, right, from yeah. elementary the to only middle thing to high school I to administrative done, level. Yep. The only thing I haven't done is preschool. Or college. I don't, I don't think I want right. Oh, I've actually taught at the collegiate level. Okay. Well, uh, right. when, I was at, when I was a I teacher at <laughs> <laughs> when I was a teacher at Jefferson, I was adjunct faculty and I was teaching uh, clinical students. So okay, uh, yeah. I, I was doing that whole thing. Uh, for so a few preschool, years. that's the final frontier. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> that I don't is, know about that. That's something different. Uh, that's yeah. that's going to be. I think that's going to remain uncharted territory for me. We can um, leave that for someone else. Yes, yeah. yes. There's somebody else who is built and equipped to to handle that work. But you could see yourself in the classroom again. Absolutely, I could. I think that's honestly. I think that's uh, what allows me to be effective at my job. Right. I have to remember what it's like to be a teacher. As a leader, I have to remember, I can't forget what it's like to be a teacher. I can't forget what it's like to have, you know, 30 kids in front of you for 50 minutes and like you have to give them your best. I can't, I can't forget what that's like. It's probably the same thing. To be a good leader. Like administratively too, when you're talking about the district office. Absolutely. When you're like your immediate framework, your point of reference was like, you know, we have to do what's best for the kids. And that's probably because you had that immediate, like, no, I was just there. I was just, yep. I just saw them. Yep. Just experienced it, <laughs> I right? just experienced it. Absolutely. And that's where it can get tough, right? When you have – you can get caught up in the politics and the bureaucracy of it and forget that you're like, oh, no. Like, there are actual 
faces of people that we're talking yes. about, right? There are people that are connected to our decision. If you see yourself going into the classroom, like you said, does it, do you see yourself going back and doing the history thing? Could it be something else? What do you think about? Well, I'm most equipped. Right. I'll, I'll say that. Is I'm, music I'm still in the back equipped. of your mind a little bit? Not you know, so or, or much. Is that ship sailed I, I think that ship has sailed. I think yeah. that my, my moment in the music sun. Do you still play just for yourself at all? Very rarely. Um, family band my, type of deal? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Christmas party? Every, every once in a while, the family, family reunion, gets together and we do that? a little bit. Yeah. Do you really? Actually, we do. Actually, we you do. Do? Yeah. do you go yeah. on the alto or what do you get on? Uh, you know what? It's been years since I got on, I got on the saxophone. So oh, no. typically if, if our family's going to get together, I might get on the piano, um, okay. or I might just, you know, just be singing along with everybody else. Yes. But no, if, if I got back in the classroom, it would probably be, um, social studies or history. Yeah. Um, like I said, I learned to be really passionate about it and history is more than just facts. I think it's why I loved it. Cause it's story, right? It's narrative. It, it, it is, it is. Yeah. But, and there's so much. There's so much concept behind history. Like if you – it's all well and good to know the ins and outs of every single war that's taken place in our country, right, or where we've been participants. But I think what's more interesting to me and powerful to me is the concept of conflict, right? Because typically we get into war for very similar reasons. There aren't very many reasons outside of beliefs – and power, land. and land, and economy, um, religion. That yeah, yeah like beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, beliefs yeah. Um, that that you're gonna see us get into conflict with, right? So if I can learn that conflict starts with these things, then it doesn't matter what war we're talking about, right? Because <laughs> yeah. all wars start from the same things, and so that was kind of the the I, I like to think that was. The, the kind of teacher I was uh, really? when I was doing it on a regular basis. Like, yeah, it's all well and good that that we know who the president was during World War II. Yep, yes. great. That's wonderful. But what's more important is the fact that we didn't learn anything from the concepts of World War One because we went right back into it again, right? And, and so um, I'd like to think that with some of the things that are happening right now, in our society, like I could jump back in and be able to yeah. make those kind of connections for kids again. I think it's a fascinating time too for social studies, especially at the middle or high school level, just in terms of the way that information works today, Absolutely. the way that you know people with social media information is democratized in that way, but Absolutely. still siloed in that you know everyone's getting it from different places. I would do just a unit on media, right, yeah. and I would track like yellow journalism. All the way up to now, this point yeah, yeah. where in muckraking, all the way up to this point now where we're talking about what fake news is. What is fake yeah. news versus real news? Like, I mean, there's just so much there um, that I think um, our kids have a lot to say about. Also, I mean, yeah. I think Especially, as, as, as yeah, teachers, natives, right? absolutely, as teachers, I think that we don't take advantage enough of what our kids think, right? We tend to think that we should be telling them right. stuff. I'm sure you know middle schoolers have a lot of opinions. They do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Um, I, I think that sometimes we don't take the time because we're so focused on giving them stuff. We don't take the time to listen to them to see what they already know, right? And huh. so I, I think that um, as a teacher, I would want to make sure like a component of what I did was listen to my kids and hear from them to see – like, what are your thoughts on this? 
what do you really need to learn from me versus what do you already have that I don't have to take the time to, to teach you because you got it already, right? Yeah. And I think the other, the other thing that can be problematic for us if we're not careful as educators is some of the stuff that we think we need to teach, they can Google it now, right? Yeah. Like they don't need me to stand up and give them dates and facts and figures. So my job has to be more than that. I think that educators, as educators, we have to evolve. Like we have to change with the times. And I worry sometimes that we're not keeping up with the changing that's necessary. Sometimes it is easy to get into the what worked yesterday is going to work today, right? And, and it won't. Um, I, I, I just don't think that it will. Yeah. Um, because we're not dealing with the same type of learner that we were dealing with even when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. Learning and the concept of learning and what learning means is different. And so as a teacher, I can't hold on to what used to work for me because the learner is not the same. All right, Maurice. Well, this has been this has been a great talk. This is fantastic. Cool. Yeah, I want to tell you. Yes. I hope you enjoyed hour. it. I, hope you I did. I did. This was good. This was good. It was very therapeutic. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad it is. I'm providing a service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did. You did. You did. I, it, it gave me an opportunity to like just reflect on some things. That's our show. Thanks for listening to another episode of Teachers Lounge. I've been your host, Peter Medlin. And as always, want to encourage you to nominate teachers in your life who you think should be on the show and send us your topic suggestions at teacherslounge at niu.edu. That is our email address. That's where you can send everything. Wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to us, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Five stars, five stars. You know how it goes. Special thanks, of course, to Maurice Davis for being on this week's show. Obviously, a special thanks to all the Maurices who have been on our show. This is just a Maurice cast now, but specifically, thank you to Maurice Davis for this particular show. Thank you to the Rockford Area Band Kind Ofs for the amazing music that you get to hear this entire show. And thank you to Spencer Tripp for making our cool Teacher's Lounge logo. We will be back very, very soon with another special episode of Teacher's Lounge. I've been your host, Peter Medlin. Have a great one.